He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a sad day at the end of a sad week. Troubadour, Dave Gunders, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's good to sit with a buddy. Well, we've been walking and talking. Last week we had on Scott McGinnis. You were able to hear my show once the war started. Saturday the 7th, it's been a week now. We're recording on Friday. I had a great interview with Rabbi Bruce Dahlin. Today, we record on Fridays, and it airs first thing Saturday morning. Here we are, late Friday now, Troubadour, and I appreciate your song. I appreciate you coming over, and I appreciate you listening to episode 175, because I think it was one of my most important. Yes. Ken Tolt. Ken Tolt and John John Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, it was amazing. When you told me you'd had them um, already already scheduled, I was like, wow, I thought you'd probably just would have called them. But to have, as you called them, your foreign cor- correspondence set up to talk about this, it was amazing. Well, I'm really proud of those guys. John Jackson keeps going out on missions, but he circulated the episode. Ken Toltz, still in the eye of the Israel storm. Let's not forget about Ukraine. And let's not forget about 9-11, because those gentlemen put it all together. And this show is important, too, because I bring some religious context into it with Rabbi Dolan, and we talk about what the Torah says. On Monday night, I know you were in the mountains, but I was at Temple Emmanuel. There's a special prayer for people in captivity. Did you know there's a Jewish obligation? We have to try to rescue the hostages. It's commanded in the Torah. Wow. No, I did not know that. Yes. But you know the first priority of being Jewish is to save lives. And any commandment you can break if you are trying to save lives. And we're just getting over the shock of everything. You've got a nice sad song. We're going to start off with it. It's called Ain't No Way You're Coming Home. And a lot of people are never coming home again in Israel. I mean, if words are, uh, indis- they can't describe, I think, what the people must be feeling. The people of Israel have, having lost loved ones and um, been invaded like they were. And, uh, you know, the um, um, not just Israel, but Americans lost their lives. And, um, and now there's a lot of what's sad is the, is, is the you know, the, the, the killing of innocent people on both sides as a result of these, you know, of Hamas doing these horrific, horrific crimes. And it's like, I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't think I can really add to anything, Craig, in terms well, of- Well, you can, because you used an interesting word, innocence. And there are, is no doubt that the children are innocent. That's right. I'm wondering about the people who cheered on the street when the captives go by, bleeding, women raped, women being abused. If you cheer for that, are you innocent? 
You are not innocent to cheer for that. You're brainwashed is what you are and full of hatred. Right. But, but we just can't have neighbors like that. So God has to be cleared out. And I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of optimism. You heard it with John Jackson. We win, they lose. Right. Ken told the same way. Bruce Dolan, a great rabbi in Denver, same attitude. Yeah, it's not that simple, though. Right. No, it's not that simple. Right. We can talk up a good game. I've well, played a I lot mean, of sports. I'm competitive as hell. Who's winning and who's losing? How do we win? Everybody's losing. How can we win with unsustainable neighbors? Well, you can't have them. And I mean, Israel's of the mindset now that Hamas needs to be wiped off, you know, that nobody can live now who's Hamas. Well, of course they can. Hamas charter says that we can't live. It's not just that they say Jews have to die. They lay it out like Hitler. Jews are money hungry. They're controlling. They do this. They do that. Bottom line is we've contributed a lot to civilization. Have you ever heard of Louise Gluck? She was a Nobel Prize winning poet, mm -hmm. Jewish girl from New York. She died today, of all days, and she won the Nobel Prize for literature, and she was a poet. Do you know, she wrote a poem called Triumph of Achilles, and one of her lines in there was, intense love always leads to mourning. Wow. And it's kind of like your song. You have a line in the song we're about to hear. It's a sad song. It's about loss. I know. You say yeah. love takes its victims. Love takes its toll. And that's what we're feeling right now, isn't it? Our love of Israel. We're hurting. We're so sad. Yeah. I've been crying. I, I wake up. I put on the TV too much. And things are getting to me. Parents talking about their captured children. Oh, yeah. You have to take a deep breath when you turn on the news. Because there, uh, things are still being revealed of, of the, uh, you know, the horrors that were. You have a line down. in your upcoming song in there. You know what it is? You said something like, I've seen enough. I mean, right. it's a breaking point song. Right. It's like, we're, this, we're not going to home anymore. Right. Something's going to change. And it's like, I don't want to see any more pictures of dead babies mm -hmm. or raped women. I've seen enough. I'm ready to go to war. Now, the thing about war, I want to throw smart punches, not wild punches, right. smart punches. Right. But what do you do when they hide their rocket launchers right above school children who they're holding captive? Right, right. Those are the challenges the Israelis face. And, and, and Tel Aviv is being struck even as we speak. Hezbollah likely to join in. Iran, I've been fighting against those momsers, that Yiddish for bastards, for a long time. Rabbi Dolan and I figure it out. We've got to kind of save Persia like it's Purim. Remember Haman? He wanted to destroy all the Jews. Yeah. He was an Amalekite. You know what that is? Amalekites? Yeah, the Amalekites. You mean what they are these days? Well, yeah, they're Jew haters. Haman wanted to destroy the Jewish people right. in Persia, which is now Iran. Right. Queen Esther came to our rescue. Who's going to be our Queen Esther now? No. There's no Queen Esther now. No, there's no. On. There's no rescue. Troubadour. There, there's, there's no rescue, Craig. There's, there's, as you said in your last column, now what there is is there has to be, uh, this, this crime has to be avenged. And um, 
I'm glad I'm not a decision maker because any of those decision makers are, um, you know, going to be ca- the causing the death of innocent lives. Well, let's let's just uh, salute the decision makers. I like Zelensky in Ukraine. I like Joe Biden as president because I think he loves Israel. I like Kamala Harris as vice president with her husband, Doug Emhoff, second gentleman, a Jewish guy. I think this administration loves the Jewish people. Tony Blinken is a Jew, as he said in Israel. What a speech he gave. He feels it. Yeah, and and you know, just to just to join join with you on on uh, thanks to to President Biden for speaking out so clearly, you know, and not hedging not hedging his support for Israel. Wow, I'm a little shook this week. Look at this opening, but I'm shook because you are the most upbeat person I know, and it's hard to be upbeat about this. No. And you're a great father, and I I went to Rabbi Dahl, and you'll hear that upcoming, but you're such a great parent. I just feel like we've let our kids down. I mean, we're fathers. We're the protectors. Don't you kind of feel helpless? Like, what kind of a world are we leaving them? And there are people out there who want to kill our children because they're Jewish? Are you kidding me? Well, and it's our children and that generation that's going to be saving Israel, that's fighting and putting their lives on the line. I mean, there's there there the soldiers are are uh, right now. I mean, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they're going to be put at great risk going into Gaza. Right. And um, these are young. These are this right. is the next generation. What a selfish bastard I am! I'm thinking about my own Benny and Sammy. I should be thinking about those eighteen-year-olds and twenty-year-olds sure. and twenty-four-year-olds yeah. named Benny and Sammy, yep. Shmuley and Ben Hamin, who are fighting mm-hmm. right now on right. Shabbat. Now I'm. I, I like my. I like being the angry mode rather than the sad mode. I know, but we're both sad. <laughs> and you know, Rabbi Dolan was so great because we talked about tears and fighting. There's time to fight through the tears, and he made that point that that's what the Israelis have to do. Right. We're crying in Colorado, and we have to fight in our own way too. It's a different fight. He's going to the rally on Sunday. So am I. I'm inviting everybody to go to the Capitol. I think it's time to show up, and that's what we can do, and uh, I'm going to be there. And Rabbi Dolan wanted me to emphasize toward the end when, gosh, I get emotional, and he talks about he's got to fight and cry. He was talking about Israel. They're going to do the fighting. They're not asking America to do any kind of fighting, although thank you, Joe Biden, for sending those big warships over there. Thank you. Yeah. Let's let's pray for all the people who are in harm's way, yes. like Kenny Toltz and John Jackson, and our our foreign correspondents. Hey, this show is important, especially feels like we're doing wartime podcast now, doesn't it? Well, it is, it is, and you know, Israel is the Jewish homeland. It's dear to our hearts, and uh, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. But I mean, it, it, no, we we don't even have to say, you know. It's not a question of dual loyalty, hey, you love Israel, which we do, but we don't live there. We live in America. Right. We're Americans. But this group, Hamas, they've declared not just war against Israel. They've declared war against the Jewish people. 
Okay, so I'm at war against Hamas, and I've read their charter a long time ago. And I've tried to even talk to Jimmy Carter about it. He didn't want to believe me. I wrote about it in the Colorado Sun. But I think people are taking them serious now. They really want to kill Jews. And it doesn't matter if they're pro-Hamas Jews, peaceniks. And they, you know, they killed Arabs. I mean, you know, they, it was very indiscriminate, though, the yes. killing. Just, just the, Right, uh, but their charter says we right. want to kill Jews. Right. They right. don't want and any Jews. not just Jews. Israelis. They were, like and I said, so they were... And so we're doing them a favor. They don't want any Jews as neighbors. They want Jews to move. God, I hope it doesn't come to that. That's what they want, though, right? That's what they want. Right. Right, they've never acknowledged the the right of Israel to exist. Right, they want to put every last Israeli out of their home there. That appears to be the case. Right. Yeah, and ain't slaughter no, them. Right. No, and, this was. That's I mean, the way they ensured there ain't no way they're coming home. This might be the saddest song you ever wrote, but it's beautiful. It's got powerful lyrics. Everybody, give a listen. And then I'm telling you, Rabbi Bruce Stalin is one of the smartest men in town. He'll inform you. He'll educate you. He'll give you wisdom that will help you deal with what we're all going through right now. He's one of Colorado's foremost rabbis, big part of my life. Thank you, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. Take care.
momentum. I've done all I can do. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. My next guest, Rabbi Bruce Dolan, has a brilliant mind. I know because I've heard him speak so many times at many big moments to a packed congregation at the Hebrew Educational Alliance on the high holidays, and I've seen him in small rooms and at Shiva calls. My family and I have had so many happy and so many sad experiences in his presence. So have thousands of other people. I, I'm not sure if it's kosher, but I confess here on, on the podcast that on the high holidays, I kind of got spoiled because I don't really speak Hebrew. I know a lot of the songs, but I actually love the sermons. So I will uh, frequently go to Temple Sinai to hear Rabbi Rhines and then make it a double header by walking three blocks over to hear Rabbi Dolan. But Rabbi Dolan's now retired, but his synagogue's going strong. And I saw him in Shul 
shortly after what happened uh, on October 7th, and we talked about the possibility of a podcast, and here he is. I can't tell you how honored and privileged I feel that you'd make time for me and my podcast on this most impactful and sad week in Jewish and world history. Thank you, Rabbi. Sure, Craig. It's good to be with you, even though it's a traumatic, very sad time for the people of Israel and really Jews worldwide, uh, and I think for civilization itself. It's a tough time, and I'm glad to be with you. Well, tell everybody where you come from, because I always brag about being a native of Colorado, but not all Jews are so lucky. Tell everybody where you grew up and how you found your way to Denver. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I went away to college in California and decided in college to pursue the rabbinate. I studied for the rabbinate two years in Los Angeles, uh, and then one full year studying uh, in Israel. Well, that was in 1980, uh, 81, and uh, came back and graduated rabbinical school, um, was ordained Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City, took a pulpit in New Jersey for eight years, and then um, had the privilege of coming to serve the Jewish community at the Hebrew Educational Alliance in the Denver Jewish community. Uh, been here since 1994 just retired about a year ago. I remember when you got here, and boy, do I remember the guy you succeeded because he was my bar mitzvah rabbi, Beth Joseph. And when he left, and then I got married at Beth Joseph, and it closed down, now it's big church. I've been a wandering Jew ever since, but the alliance was always special for my family because like a lot of beautiful Denver shoals, it's got my Uncle Mel's artwork in it. And he went to North High here. And I hadn't realized that you started being a rabbi in 81, am I right? Is that when you graduated? No, uh, I graduated uh, earlier than that. I was in New Jersey for um, eight years and then and then came out I know, here. but at 81, when did you first become a rabbi? 1981? Oh, 86. Oh, 86. I, you came home from Israel in 81. Anyway, Correct. yes. How many times have you been to Israel? Uh, I've been there really dozens of times. Um, my last real um, you know, significant interaction being in Israel was a program through the Hartman Institute where I'd go uh, to study for a month every summer, did that for four years. And then we were there uh, during that period as well for a couple of weeks in the winter time. Uh, and my wife uh, also significant connections uh, in Israel, family and friends. And um, where Israel is just a, a part of our hearts and part of our souls. Uh, we can't imagine a world without Israel in it. We've never had to, to live in a world without Israel in it unlike, you know, our parents and grandparents. Uh, so um, everything that happens there really happens here um, as well. So we're, we're tied pretty closely to this whole thing, and it is a heartbreaker. Um, and not small amount of fear about what's going on there. And you know, we're confident that the uh, IDF, the army in Israel, will be able to uh, protect its people moving forward. But Obviously, there's a war on, and, and, and innocent people will die, and it's, it's just frightening. It's I just frightening. I, I pray your family and friends are safe, but I have to believe, well, everybody's traumatized here, there, but over there, 
again, I appreciate it. I, I, I know there aren't easy answers, but you are a rabbi, and you know so many more things and different perspectives on it. Let's just start with the war. As a rabbi, is it different? Well, this, this war is different, whether you're a rabbi or not. This, what happened on Saturday and Sunday, really, the, the 1,200 Israelis murdered uh, babies, young children, um, 20-year-olds that are that were at a all-night concert by right, being hunted down and and killed mercilessly. But this was a a war where um, Hamas terrorists targeted civilians. That's a war crime. Of course, um, that is it's, atrocity. It, it, it's it's Nazi-like, only worse because they want to brag about it. The Nazis tried to cover it up. So it's also stipulated in the anger I feel. I put it out there in the Colorado Sun and stuff. But as a rabbi, is there something in the Torah that tells us what to do now? Well, you know, there are there are very strong Jewish values, even laws in Judaism that um, that ref- give us some guidance here. Really, the first thing, and Jews have, this is a central tenet of Judaism, and that is this concept that all human beings are made in the image of God. So every single human being is precious. Every human being is precious. They have the spark of the divine in them. So to preserve life, um, whether it's a Gazan civilian or an Israeli or or really anyone in the world, you have to preserve life um, if you can. Do whatever you can. Uh, to preserve life because God is in everyone. But that's not the only Jewish value. There's another Jewish value um, that speaks, and it's a law. It speaks of the rodeo. That is, uh, if someone comes rape, comes to kill you, and we can see that pretty clearly. It happened on Saturday and Sunday. Hamas terrorists um, seeking out civilians to kill and massacre. Um, barbaric operations, if someone like that comes to kill you, you are obligated. It's not just permitted. You are obligated to rise up and kill them first. That's a very important concept. So there's no glory in in dying for a cause. Right? What's important here is if you have an enemy coming to destroy you, you fight back. And that's what's happening right now with the IDF and could soon be an incursion into Gaza. They're fighting back to preserve their own lives. That's a Jewish value. That's an obligation to protect your own life. There's another Jewish value, Craig, that we're dealing with now that was is even as as horrifying, and that is the, the hostages. In right. Jewish law, um, one is obligated to negotiate for hostages if necessary, to pay whatever ransom. Where 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 does that come from? That's a concept called Pidyon Hashvu'im, as redemption of hostages. So it says in the Torah that if you don't try to redeem hostages, try to get them back, it's almost as if you're committing murder. So the Israelis have to try to get those hostages back. Well, for all of the values that I just talked about. Uh, but there's limits to that. Craig, and you know, so you know, as all of your listeners do, uh, that when you have hostages and you pay off ransom, uh, it's more likely that 
your enemy will get more hostages to get more ransoms. So it's a, a very difficult situation to redeem hostages. And we even see in Jewish tradition, one great rabbi, Rabbi Mayor of Rothenberg's 13th century, was taken hostage, and he actually got word back to his, his people uh, not to ransom, uh, not to give a ransom to free him. Um, he said, I, I will die in captivity because I know that there's no end to taking of hostages. So you can see there's a tension there between doing everything that you can to get hostages, but not paying so much that it's going to encourage them, uh, your enemy, to, to take even more hostages. So I think Israelis are, are dealing with that um, right now. Uh, you know, what we're hearing is that Israel is saying to Hamas, there's not going to be any any electricity, water, food, services um, provided to the Palestinian people until they release the hostages. It's on Hamas here. They have the power uh, to get food and water back to their people that they claim to be concerned about. All they have to do is return those hostages. Yes, but a lot of people in Gaza are in effect hostages. A lot of them are kids. And we have different value systems. And I tried to write about it, and it's tough to talk about, but you just did. As a Jew, there's no glory in dying. We don't want you to. We Our whole ethic is to save a life. But there are other cultures where there is glory in dying. There's a concept that there's an afterlife with 72 virgins, and they believe that with all their heart, all their soul, and all their might. Kind of the veil hafta from our seminal prayer, Shema, right? It's shared by others. And, and their zeal for their religion is driving a lot of this. Am I right, Rabbi? I don't know. Honestly, Craig, I wouldn't impugn Islam. Uh, they have their value system. They are a religion that seeks peace. I truly believe that. Good. But but Hamas has bastardized their uh, their religion. Uh, they have desecrated their religion. They have a culture of death in mind. They raise their children to fight and die for ridiculous, atrocious causes. Um, I, this is not Islam that's at fault here. This is Hamas. This is barbarians. They're at fault here. Um, and that's the reason why uh, I, I truly believe, and we're hearing it from uh, government officials in Israel, they have to be rooted out and destroyed. Right. Just like uh, if somebody goes off in the Jewish world, it's our obligation to stand up and say, whoa, this doesn't go, and you're going to be punished severely. Is there an obligation on the Islamic world now to rise up and say, hey, Hamas, you really have bastardized our religion, and we're against you? Yeah, I think everybody, all people of goodwill, um, have got to fight against terrorism. Um, it's barbarism. It's the exact opposite of civilization. Um, any civilized human being has to fight against terrorism. It's a it's a criminal act. It's an, a war crime. Um, it it is the worst, darkest aspect of the human personality, um, and we have to fight it with everything that we have. I think that the Gazan Gazans have some culpability here. 
uh, there for whatever reason. Maybe they don't have a choice. I don't know. But, you know, Hamas terrorists hide behind civilians, human shields. Um, so, you know, they'll bring a, a, a kindergarten class right near the building that they're hiding arms in, in mosques, right, in schools. Um, that is that is beyond belief. I know. Um, and I know. they know and this is what Hamas wants. We've seen it yes. time and time again. They want their civilians to die at the hands of Israelis. Yes. I mean, Israeli soldiers will do anything they can to avoid those civilian deaths. But it's hard to do. Somebody's shooting at you and there's a civilian between you and the person shooting at you to kill you. Right? You have to do everything you can not to hurt those civilians, but there are going to be civilian deaths and it's inevitable. You know, we, we remember the Iraq war. There was a battle uh, against ISIS fighters and muscle. Probably remember that battle. It was a hideous battle where ISIS fighters were hiding behind civilians. There was 11,000 civilians that died in that battle. Right. right. Uh, 11,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no international outcry that, uh, oh, all of these civilians and it's disproportionate and this and that. You know, Americans uh, and, and the Iraqis uh, went into battle against their enemies uh, who hid themselves behind civilians. And this is going to be the second huge tragedy of this war. Um, to get to root out Hamas, uh, innocent civilians are more than likely going to die. Um, and it's it, exactly against uh, what, what an Israeli would want in, in any circumstance for innocent civilians to die. Uh, but, but the country has to protect itself. Well, and I, that means that Hamas has got to be destroyed. Okay. Uh, you know my background as a prosecutor, and I had to handle some vicious street crimes, home invasions, stuff like this. So I thought a lot about what's the proper response. And of course, we lock people up. In one case, I even secured the death penalty after talking with Rabbi Kohlberger about Jewish law and that. We won't divert. But the, is there a role of punishment now? Is there a role for retribution I think the primary thing is deterrence. Of course, they can't allow these rockets. President Herzog said, what are you going to do when a rocket's in a kitchen window aimed at us to kill? And it has been killing. So it's a brutal situation. But the anger I feel, Rabbi, when I, you know, I, I can't watch these videos. I hear about them, a woman who's bleeding from being raped and she's, marched and there's a crowd cheering it everybody's cheering that so if you cheer are you culpable under the law i'm thinking you know that word abet you always hear aid and abet it's part of complicity it means to encourage it so maybe that's what you were talking about with the culpability of too many people in gaza right now yeah no i I would agree if uh you know rockets are being um, shot off, uh, sh- shot towards uh, Israel to kill innocent civilians, and the and the place that the rocket is being um, launched from is a is is a school. Um, and you're going to have to do what you can to protect your people and get rid of those rocket launchers, you know, wherever it is. Um, so again, more than likely, innocent, innocent civilians are going to die, and that 
that's that that is a war crime. What's the war crime? The Hamas putting up human shields to protect them uh, from from which they attack Israel. So that's a crime. Those people sh- should be brought to justice. Um, or I guess in the situation that we're looking at, they have to be, you know, annihilated. They have to they have to be killed. It's a very scary situation. Yeah. You know, Israel's going to be sending 18-year-old kids um, in, onto the streets of, of Gaza to, to root out Hamas. Right? What do these kids want to be doing? They want to be walking through Gaza. Right? They want to go to college. They want to get married. They want to have a family. Right? They want to go into tech. You know, they want to support themselves. That's, that's, that's the focus. That should be the focus of these 18-year-olds. Hamas is drawing Israel into a war. So we have to send 18-year-olds to root them out. But it, it's, it's, an, it's an atrocity. Um, they're criminals, uh, and they should be brought to justice. Um, I'll tell you how to end this war. I'm a peacenik. I, I want hostilities to end on all sides. Uh, and there is a way that that can happen. That is Hamas from top to bottom, from their leaders all the way to their foot soldiers. They, they should just, they should walk out of their nest and, and give up. It's an, isn't that more of an ideology than an actual, you know, military? Well, it's a, right. It's kind of a fantasy because that's not going to happen. Um so, the, so the let me tell you, here's what I like about you, Rabbi, because you don't just think about things. You are a fighter. In fact, once when Louis Farrakhan's group was sending somebody to GW to speak at an assembly, my brother Bill, may he be a blessed memory. I'm glad he doesn't have to witness this, although I wish he was here to give me a smart answer. Anyway, we protested that. And then I went to Colorado College, and there was a rabbi who came to town and said, you know what? They're propagandizing kids at Craig's alma mater. Next thing you know, you're in the New York Times leading a fight way back when against people who just want to ruin Israel, won't tolerate the Jewish state of Israel. Tell everybody how long you've been involved in this fight and, and why you got so involved in that. Um, I... I, I... Truly, do believe in the Jewish value of the Rodef, and that is, if there's an enemy that comes to destroy you, you got to fight. Uh, you can't just <laughs> you just can't let it happen. Your Jews want to preserve life, and and they are obligated to preserve their own life as well. So sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you have to pick up a gun and and fight. Um, we do that according to the law, and I know the IDF works very hard on training their soldiers um, in the, the the rules of war. You're going to try to avoid any kind of civilian casualties, but they're going to do the best they can. Sometimes Israeli soldiers put their, their own lives on the line to avoid civilian casualties. We've seen there's going to be 18-year-olds that are going to be killed in this war. Um, because of trying to do the best they can to avoid civilian casualties. What you're talking about um, in 2002 is one year after 9-11, literally 9-11-2002. There was to be a a, a big speech, Colorado College, Hanana Shraoui, one of Yasser Arafat's accolades, one of the people on his inner inner cabinet, um, invited to speak to Colorado College. 
um, in a in a big program that they had. And we heard about that. And we were outraged. It was one year after after 9-11. Uh, Yasser Arafat, if you remember, he was one of the great innovators of airline hijackers. Right now, one of his people are coming to speak to Colorado College a year after airplanes were hijacked and and flown into the World Trade Center in New York. We thought that was an outrage. We got a bunch of buses of people together from Denver. We went down there and we protested. How do we protest? We didn't throw things at people. We spoke. We used words. We used our physical presence in a peaceful way to say, this is unacceptable. Uh, Colorado College wasn't too happy that we came down, uh, but sometimes you just have to speak out. Uh, and we spoke out then. So were we fighters? Yeah, we were We were fighters, but we did it according to the law. We did it peacefully. We used our voices. Um, and I think we made, you know, we made a difference on that day. Wasn't the president of CC back then Richard Celeste, former Democratic governor of Ohio? Yeah, and I'll tell you, he was, he was brand new to the presidency of the college. And, you know, we see... Um, we see elected officials sometimes brought to colleges to raise money and fundraising and so on. And he was so out of his depth. Um, he didn't know what to do. He didn't invite Kanana Shroud. It was like the political science department. Um, and I know what the, the political science department was, was hoping to achieve. I think it was a year earlier than that, that uh, they invited Samuel Huntington to come to this, this, this program that they ran. And, I don't know if you if you remember Samuel Huntington. He was like the clash of civilizations right, guy, right? Right. The East versus the West, and they and he made a splash on campus. And I think they were trying to do the same thing with Hanan Ashrawi. Uh, Samuel Huntington had this concept of clash of civilizations. It's the East versus the West. It's America versus the Middle East, and so on. A clash is happening. But uh, I have to tell you, Craig, that's not what ha- that is not what ha- what is happening now. There's no clash of civilizations here. Um, when you're talking about Hamas, you're not talking about a civilization. You're talking about bar- barbarism. It's not a clash between civilizations. It's a clash between barbarism and civilization. Um, and when civilization doesn't stand up and uh, and fight and push back on barbarism, um, then it continues on and these atrocities will continue. Uh, for the Israeli government at this point, um, that's not going to be allowed to stand. Um, whatever it takes, uh, they're going to destroy Hamas um, so that it can't fight ever again. Um, and uh, again, this hopefully, please God, you know, in the next weeks and months, this is going to be a victory for civilization against the forces of barbarism. Right. It's got to end with us winning and them losing. And just to go back in time to when I was at Colorado College, I'm a little bit older than you, and I was there in 76 when... Jimmy Carter came out of nowhere. I was a Democrat. I caucused for Frank Church. Anyway, he ends up winning. And then we know what happened with Iran. I think Iran is behind this. That's my suspicion. And Russia, too. You talk about barbarism. They've got uh, Evan Gershkovich locked up in Russia. They just arrested Navalny's attorneys today. I mean... And Yasser Arafat, who you bring up, he got away with all this crap and still celebrated. Munich happened, no real recriminations. So this Hamas is is using a playbook that they see around the world. It's not just theirs, this cruelty, this inhumanity. And I can't help 
I remember my one time to cross-examine the president of the United States. It was Jimmy Carter, and I said, Sir, why are you backing Hamas? It was when he was promoting his book. He said, they're not so bad. I said, Ismail Haniyeh just said in Tehran that they'll never let there be a Jewish state. And then he accused me of lying about it. And I said, sir, I think I've got my facts right. And then 14 Carter Center employees quit over that and some other things he did in connection with that book. So wasn't that kind of how the Hamas camel got its nose in the tent? Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't just Carter. I think uh, there's some culpability in the uh, in the leadership uh, in Israel. Yes. Uh, I think there was this sense, or well, there was this sense through the years, yeah, you can deal with Hamas. They shoot some rockets, they, there's an incursion or two, a couple of people die. But, you know, overall, Hamas is, you know, they're, they're, they're not as bad as some others. Um, well, that was put to the lie now. They're worse than others. It was a mistake on the part of the Israeli government. I think there's going to be a reckoning after this war is over. Uh, but Hamas made itself very clear. They are, they are barbaric. They are butchers. They're savages. They'll kill innocent people, you know, men, women, children, right? Um, unarmed. It's, it w- they were committed atrocities. That's who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really only you know, one, one way to, to handle barbarians. That is to really go in there, root them out, annihilate them. Let's go back to the Torah. They're bad people. The Amalek, uh, I, Amalekites, what's that about? And, and is that applicable to today? Um, you know, I, I think perhaps it is. Uh, Amalek was uh, a people that attacked the Israelites as they were wandering in the desert. Um, and they didn't attack the Israelites the way like an army would attack another army. Uh, they were more like terrorists. What did the, what did the Amalekites do? They went to the back, the rear of the people marching through the desert. And and who who marches in the rear? Right, the people that are slower, the the women, the children. I don't know the elderly. Um, and they attacking from behind with incredible you know cowardice. Even in, even in ancient times, that wasn't done. Um, so, so were the Amalekites like terrorists? I think there is a definite comparison there. And throughout history, Amalek was was like the quintessential enemy, like the enemy of the Jews or the Amalekites. And even Haman in the story of of Esther uh, descended from the Amalekites uh, because they wanted to destroy the Jewish people entirely. Uh, they want to fight against Israel's army. They wanted to destroy the Jewish people. Um, and I would put, I think Hamas could easily be descendants of Amalek. They don't want to just, just destroy Israel. They want to kill Jews. Uh, and they showed themselves. And I think the, the world, um, seeing these images coming out of Israel, even the, even the world that typically is very quick to turn on Israel, um, uh, they're keeping somewhat quiet, at least at this point, uh, because they, they see the barbarity, the, the, the barbarism of, of Hamas. And that's going to be another problem, though, I think, Craig, that's, that's coming up, right? When there's a ground incursion, more and more 
Gazans are pushed to the south. You'll already see that happening. Um, international opinion, certainly whatever's going to be happening on campus, there's going to be anti-Israel um, protests and so on. It's going to make it difficult for Israel, but you know this is a paradigm change. Nothing like this has happened before to the people of Israel, and um, and and they're going to fight this fight to the end. Yeah, we've seen this play before in the media, although it's a new media environment, and damn Elon Musk. Uh, anyway, I, I have my theories on that, but let me think about heroic people, because heroes will emerge. Ken Toltz, who was on episode 175 from Israel, he's highlighting them on his Facebook page. I'm sure he's listening now. He loves the Hebrew Educational Alliance, and right outside there, you have a statue dedicated to a guy I got to know through my criminal justice work because he helped me on gun control issues, and that was General Felix Sparks. And he was a kid from a poor town in Arizona, ended up commanding the Thunderbirds, which was made up of four corners, including Colorado guys, a lot of Jewish guys, some, I think, at the Alliance and they marched up from Italy all the way to liberating Dachau. And when they saw the atrocities in Dachau, his men went a little wild on the Nazis. And then he had to shoot off his gun, and some people got court-martialed. You know that story, don't you, Rabbi Dahlin? I bet you were there at the dedication. I'm so—I I, I think that's the coolest memorial at any synagogue anywhere. Tell people about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't uh, fully involved with the honoring of General Sparks, but I do know that we, we did have a, uh, a program to honor him and his service, Colorado, who fought against the Nazis. Um, you know, there were so many heroes in World War II, the greatest generation. Um, and um, I think that also World War II is a very, Holocaust, very clear example of the fight between civilization and, and barbarism. Um, and he was one uh, of the heroes, and he was. Um, we we acknowledge that, and uh, rightly so. Um, and um, you know, when when we think about that generation, uh, they stood up uh, to uh, to support and protect civilization, and and they deserve to be honored. I think so, but some people who deserve to be dishonored, just like you dishonored. Uh, uh, Hanan Ashrawi, when she went to CSC, that was so beautiful on your part. You stood up to her, and you taught those people a lesson. You didn't do anything violent or anything like that. But now, the problem at CSC, I haven't read about it there, but I saw big things at ASU, UCLA this morning, uh, Harvard, my God, Harvard. What do you do with that, Rabbi? What's going on on our college campuses now? Um, you know, it's it's starting to build, but we've seen it. We've seen it before. Uh, we've seen it with other um, uh, episodes where uh, the is, Israel has to defend itself, um, and even when Israel <laughs> is living its life, uh, and there's no war, there's still this kind of perception on some college campuses that Israel is part of the the, the enemy, um, not protectors of civilization, but destroyers. Um, and it's and it's a certain kind of atrocity that happens on the college campus um, as well. And it's very hard for Jewish students, as you can imagine. We've got protests against Israel, um, and and 
Jewish organizations and, and their demonstrations being shouted down and um, Israelis that are that are asked to come as scholars to speak on campus being shouted down and uh, it's 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 like <laughs> it's tough uh, to be on on campus. I think for a lot of reasons these days it's hard to be a student on a on college campuses. But when there's a war like this, it's going to get even worse. I think for for Jewish college students, um, and uh, they'll have some work uh, cut out for them. Uh, you know, I, I take heart from time to time when I see like the president of the University of Florida. I just read about that this morning, I think, in the Wall Street Journal, um, who came out and said those who are in some way celebrating the Hamas's atrocities, you know, is an abomination on their campus, on any campus. Uh, and that's happening. Um, so he came out and said, we have to be very clear um, that uh, we stand right with Israel uh, against this kind of terror, against this kind of butchery, savagery. And he said, there's free speech on this campus. You know, you can you can protest. You can say whatever you want on this campus. And you're free to be idiots. <laughs> he said that. Um, but he came he came out very strongly right from the beginning. I think rightly so. Um, the uh, president of Harvard, after being badgered by people of goodwill, actually came out and said that uh, Hamas uh, uh, committed atrocities. But she had to be basically, you know, batted about before you know, she came out uh, and, and said the right thing. Um, after 30-some uh, anti-Israel groups came out against uh, against Israel as if Israel was at fault for Hamas butchering innocent civilians. Um, so the college campus is a, a difficult place uh, to be in. You know, we're doing the best we can to support students um, on campus. It was good to be with so many members of the community on Monday night. I've never seen a crowd like that at Temple Emanuel, and you were there. The clergy helped lift us up, that prayer for the captives, that got to me. Um, and our, our, our Mishabarak, Barach, our prayer for healing. My God, I always value Judaism because when a death happens, uh, Call Rabbi Dolan. There's a ritual. This is how we grieve. This is how we do things. You've been through that so many times, and it's all disrupted. One, they didn't just strike on Shabbat, but on a double holiday, Shemini Atzeret, some Chastor. I mean, and now the rituals that have comforted our people. Rabbi, what now? You know, um, there is a time to mourn and there's a time to fight. Um, there's 1,200 plus funerals that happened in Israel this past week. You can only imagine the trauma that that's caused um, in a in a small country like Israel. So we we said the El Malay Rachamim, the memorial prayer, and we pray for peace. Now, in prayer, I guess you could say that we we affirm our values. Um, that we are peace-loving people, that we want peace. We have to do what we can to bring peace. Uh, but we're not going to let our enemies succeed. Uh, Six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. State of Israel, its very inception, its very conception of itself is that this has to be a, a safe harbor for Jews uh, after uh, we saw what happens when Jews are defenseless um, during, the, during the Holocaust. 
Um, and that means that there's time to mourn, but there's also a time to fight. Um, and this is a time uh, for fighting. Uh, and and it's victory, right? Victory at all costs. Um, and that's that's going to be the end result of this. Uh, it's just tragic that so many people, uh, including innocent Gazans, um, are going to have to die in this process. How do we fight in Colorado? Because now you're talking my language. My instinct is to fight, but I know it's not smart to do it while I'm angry. And I want to throw smart punches, not wild punches. For example, Sunday, downtown, there's a rally at two, I do believe. It's approved by Jewish Colorado. I talked to the organizers. I'm inclined to be there. Do you think that's one way to fight, by a large presence? Or what's the right way to fight back in Colorado? Well, you know, there's there's several things I think we can do. Uh, I plan to be at that rally as well. Um, again, with our, our presence and our voices raised, um, peacefully, right, according, uh, legally, be present, the, the capital that people, that our legislators know and our governor know, they're all very pro-Israel, by the way, um, to let them know that we have a voice and we're here and we're in support of Israel. And that's one way, really, to physically show up. And there's going to be counter-demonstrators. We know that. We tend not to engage with them. That's the smart way, I think, of doing it. We're not going to convince anybody that has a, a sign up that that show, that that's, tries to project that Hamas was a victim or so, you know, some crazy inversion that you see at some of these uh, protests. But we're going to be there. We're going to be present. But there's other things that we can do. I think people should uh, do everything they can to stay informed. And I would recommend, and we say this to our students uh, and to our our communities, that social media is really not a good way, a reliable way to get information. Um, it's more than likely shows bias and some misinformation. I, you know, Twitter is just not the way to, to learn about the world. There's other ways to learn. There's legitimate newspapers um, that 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 smart, intelligent writers write for, and they're checked, and they're challenged, and they make sure that their reporting is accurate. Um, I read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal every morning. I don't, I don't take a step outside until I kind of get myself you know, oriented by uh, a newspaper that kind of leans to the left and a newspaper that kind of leans to the right. Um, the Times of Israel is a very good source of accurate information about what's going on. Um, uh, in Israel. Uh, there's English versions of Israeli newspapers, Haaretz and Jerusalem Post. Read up, stay informed, so you know what's really going on um, in, the, in the Middle East and in this war, uh, which, will, which will, will give you some kind of balance and keep the bias and the propaganda really kind of at bay. But, but there's other things that I think we in Colorado can, can do to, to help. Um, what I typically will do is I'm in touch with uh, our, our my congresswoman, um, Diana DeGette, who was at the, the vigil on Monday night, was very comforting. Um, our mayor was at the vigil. Our new mayor, also very comf comforting, got a standing ovation because he said, yes. look, we, st we stand with Israel. And why do you uh, think that was? I mean, I stood up too. And... Uh, you you give a lot of speeches. Why did everybody stand up and react to him the way they did? I've I've had him on my podcast twice. I know Mike, but that yeah. night I I just submit that 
it's kind of like Joe Biden is Jews. We can kind of feel the people who have it in their kishkids, right? The non-Jews. Where, and just the way he said it and the emotion, and he brought Martin Luther King into it, who also loved Israel and realized it was in jeopardy. That, that's why I think people stood up. He just, and I think when he said, Denver's got your back, or words to that effect, it was yeah. beautiful. Well, I, what was so moving um, for me in his speech is he gave this image of when you have a child uh, and you send a child out in the world, mm-hmm. it's as if a piece of your heart goes yeah. with your child. There's never, as soon as you have a, as soon as you have um, uh, a kid, uh, you're never exactly the same because a piece of you is always with that kid. And we always worry about them or we, we love them or we hope for the best for them. But they're outside of us, and now suddenly, you know, a piece of us is not 100% in our control. Um, and that was very moving because he said that's the same thing with the, the Jewish people in Israel. There's a piece of our heart that's over there. Uh, and just, and it was so accurate, it was so warm uh, and so supportive. I think that's why he got his standing ovation there. And I also think he's kind of, he's, he's new uh, to a lot of people. Uh, and to hear that kind of uh, articulate um, expression of support um, was was really moving. But there are other Congress people that were uh, there as well, other political leaders. And you know, when we see them support the Jewish community, we, it's just almost like a sigh of relief. Uh, they're not, we're not so alone. Jews are a minority. Uh, not that many of us in the world. Uh, and when we see that we have friends outside the Jewish community, um, it's just incredible. Uh, and, and I'll tell you another thing that that made me feel like America has its back. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, many of our, our presidents here um, in this country uh, said those same words. We have Israel's back. Um, but, um, and, and, and did various things. But here we have President Biden saying that, that we have Israel's back. Um, and he sent two carrier groups into the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, now that's, that is support. Uh, and it's tangible. Uh, and it's helpful and useful and important to Israel. Um, and I, I, I handed to President Biden and, and our military uh, sending that kind of power. Uh, to be a, a warning to Hezbollah in the north and to Iran, uh, who um, are really uh, behind and supportive of Hamas and of Hezbollah, um, to say, you stay out of this fight or we're going to get into the fight. And we're going to come into this fight um, with, with aircraft um, and with um, destroyers and aircraft carriers. And um, it's meaningful. Uh, and it, so the Jewish community, knowing that it has that kind of support behind Israel, that makes all the difference in the world, obviously. Yeah, special shout out to Jason Crow and Joe Nagus. Joe and I had a good talk. He's coming on my podcast. He had a little baby at home, but he makes time to come to an event where he's not even a speaker. Michael Doherty, the Boulder DA, also showed up. We noticed these things. We know who our friends are. I'd like to believe that Joe Biden feels it in his kishkes. Do you think so, Rabbi? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very involved in APAC, and uh, there hasn't been a meeting, national meeting of APAC, that Joe Biden hasn't shown up for. Uh, 
Um, and that was throughout the Obama years, right, when he was vice president. Um, he is a true friend of Israel. Um, he was very uh, close to the Jewish community um, in Wilmington, and um, he's a friend. Uh, and he's he's more than a friend, right? He's now the president of the United States, uh, and he can he can order carrier groups to the Eastern Mediterranean, and that that kind of support Israel ha has never had. I mean, with, with the magnitude of that, um, uh, even though the United States has been supportive of Israel since its inception, um, but but this is big, uh, and if this can, and if those if those carrier groups can prevent the war from escalating from the north, um, then like tens of thousands of lives will be saved. Um, and that's that's what a friend does. That's what having Israel's back really means. Yes. And boy, I've been in a lot of APAC conferences, not as many as you, and I've sort of lost touch because of politics and divisiveness, our internal politics. How is APAC? Is it United, is it going to be a factor? Is it healthy right now? Um, you know, I think it is It is healthy. Um, having retired, I've really been somewhat uh, uh, out of touch with my involvement with APAC for a year, but, uh, you know, I'm back. I'm, I'm connected. And when I think about APAC now, um, this is when all of our work um, with Congress um, make, makes a difference. And by the way, you know, I, we hear about the Jewish lobby, uh, some kind of nefarious thing uh, going on uh, between Jews in the back corridors and, and Congress and so on. That's a bunch of nonsense. But what APAC basically does is says, as U.S. citizens and as lovers of Israel, we're going to go to Congress, our Congress people and, and make an argument. And the argument is uh, that uh, Israel and America share basic values, um, are on the side of, I would say, civilization, um, and that and that it's good for America and it's good for Israel for there to be a close relationship. That's that's the big nefarious thing. We walk into our congressperson's office and make an argument. That's what being an American means. Um, and uh, I, I, when I look back now at all the all the conversations that I've had. Um, with our political leaders, and I'm not the only one. There's all kinds of different organizations uh, with different interests that speak to their congressmen. That's that's why you have a congressman. Um, now that I think about all that work that we've done, uh, when there's a crisis like this, uh, both Congress and, um, and in this case, thank God, the President of the United States, um, has Israel's back in a meaningful way. So yes. all that work that we've done all those conversations that we've had, all those letters that we've written, um, you see the point and, and why it was worthwhile at a time of crisis like this. Right, but it's sort of the sum of all our fears are coming true, so that's why we did the work. But it's not our greatest fear, because I was there about 10 years ago at a big moment, and Joe Biden may have never missed an APAC, but he did boycott that speech by Bibi, and I got in the room courtesy of Jared Polis, who was a rep, who called me. He said, Craig, are you at APAC? I said, I am. He said, do you want to go to this speech? Every Jew in the world wanted to go to that speech. I said, yes, I do. He had an extra ticket because he was on the escort committee. And I'd been calling everybody trying to get in. 
And I thought, you can hear me cheering that day. And uh, I'm sure you remember this speech. He took on Iran, told the history of the Jewish people, how we're never going to let these bastards wipe us out. We're at a red line, a crisis moment. And I was there, but Joe Biden wasn't there. And it was sort of the start of a political divide that wasn't good for Israel. Looking back on that day, and maybe now is not the right time, but I I'm so conflicted about that day that I thought was great, and I used to love BB, and now I, I think he's corrupt, but I don't want to talk about it because now is not the time. Help me, Rabbi, with all of this. What do we do? Well, I see it. I see it as as a family. Um, <laughs> you know, I I was probably not um, a lot of time uh, passing before my wife and I have a disagreement about this or that. Right, we love each other. We're committed. We have a long-standing marriage. It's, it's. Uh, I I love her, uh, but I sometimes disagree with her. Um, and the same with my kids. Sometimes we have an argument about this or that. We don't agree on some topic. Uh, that's what happens in families. The love and the commitment are there, and the disagreements also exist. Um, and look, I've had my I've had my beefs with, um, with Joe Biden and with uh, Obama and with. Uh, uh, other presidents, I think they're wrong-headed in certain things. I think Joe Biden and uh, and and Obama before him were wrong-headed on Iran. Uh, Iran is, in its own way, a terrorist state, it's a terrorist regime supporting terrorists around the world. Um, I don't think there should be any concessions. I think we should choke Iran uh, with sanctions. Uh, so Joe Biden reaching out to Iran. Um, even making a deal for these hostages with six billion dollars uh, in you know compensation, I think that's wrong-headed, um, uh, and 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 we said so uh, that we think it's wrong-headed. I think I think we're we're showing now, and Iran is showing itself uh, that to make some kind of a deal, a nuclear deal with Iran, is just is just plain wrong. It's it's not going to end well. Um, but that's what families do. They they argue about things. Same thing in Israel. Bibi, I don't know, he's got lots of issues, lots of problems. And I think his political career is going to be over after this war is over. He's going to get kicked out. Uh, and and that's what happens in, in politics, right? Golda Meir, who was was incredible statesman, incredible mensch, incredible protector of the Jewish people. After the 73 war, she lost her office because they weren't properly prepared. And the same can be said, um, I think, for, for this incident. Um, so we can disagree with this, the government of the state of Israel. We do all the time. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't, we don't support Israel when times of crisis happen, but we don't close ranks and we're all in this together. So that's what's happening now. Uh, and we'll talk politics you know, when, when Hamas has been destroyed. Okay, let's, and we have the, the ability uh, to, to think about politics again. But let's talk about the holy book and whether that's going to help us through this with instruction. I mean, some people are saying this is prophecy that's happening in the Holy Land. You just brought up Iran, which was Persia, where Haman was. Why is this happening now? Is there anything in the Torah or the Talmud which explains why this is happening, where it's happening? Well, you know, I, 
I'm a, I'm a conservative rabbi. Um, I, I don't really look at the Bible in, in a fundamentalist way. Um, I'm not seeing, you know, Gog and Magog and the, the, and, and the forces of, you know, evil and good, and there's going to be a conflagration and uh, the end of days and the Messiah coming out. You know, I really don't focus on that sort of thing. Um, I, I, don't, I don't believe that sort of thing. I think there are geopolitical reasons that Hamas struck when it did. Um, and uh, my focus would be on protecting uh, Israel, protecting the Jewish people from this kind of, of atrocities. Uh, so I, I'm not sure I'm going to get a lot of comfort from the good book, as you say, uh, but I will get a lot of comfort uh, when evil is confronted and, uh, I guess, at least in this case, destroyed. Right. Um, so that, that's 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 the kind of rabbi I am, and that's the way I read the Bible. I'm not quite as literally as some do. Um, and uh, my, my focus would be on how our basic values that we learn from the, the Torah. I talked about that, right. that we're made in the image of God, yet we have to protect our own lives and try to get prisoners and, and hostages back the best way we can. Uh, but mostly, uh, we, you know, we have to fight this evil. Uh, and, and Israel is. They're on the front line right now. Um, and I am fully convinced that they're not going to end until they're victorious. All right, let's go back to the geopolitics just for a second, because I'm intrigued. I I led a rally on the west steps of the Capitol with Neil Dubro. His organization put it together. He's living over there now. But we protested the Iran nuke deal. I got a lot of my radio colleagues at the time to come. Uh, Mike Kaufman was there, various politicians. And we tried to stop that Iran nuke deal. Sounds like you're on the same side, because my feeling is, one of the biggest victim groups in the world are the people of Persia, which were a great, is a great, smart people, but they've been oppressed by people who are Hamas-like. Uh, and so that should be the enemy. And if Saudi Arabia, I don't believe it, but if they want to really be our ally, don't we need to take out those Ayatollahs in Iran? And don't we also have to go into Qatar and get those bastards like Ismail Haniya who have refuge there, the head of Hamas? Um, I think there's a, would be a, a true value and a, a military strategic goal to uh, take out all leaders of Hamas, wherever they are, whether they're in Qatar um, or in Gaza uh, or wherever else. Um, I don't think there should be a place in the world that would be safe for Hamas's leadership or or anyone associated, connected, or supportive of this organization. Uh, so I think uh, Israel will not rest uh, until these people are are taken out. You know that Iran uh, is a large co country. Um, they do have advanced weaponry, obviously. They don't have a nuclear weapon, at least not yet. They're getting closer and closer. Um, so that country has to be watched very carefully, um, and I think squeezed economically with sanctions and so on. You know, I don't think uh, sending Israeli F-38s uh, to bomb Tehran is is really in the cards right now. Um, but uh, they their proxies have to be fought against. Hezbollah being the most dangerous of them. Hamas is dangerous. Hezbollah ten times more. There's probably 150. 
thousand guided missiles um, that are in southern Lebanon right now under the control of Hezbollah, which is under the control of Iran. Uh, so that's where that fight's going to start, if it does start. Um, and uh, there needs to be, and, and Israel's ready for that. And America is also ready for that. Presumably that's why those carrier groups are there. Um, so I, I think that's where the, the fight is going to be focused on in the near term. Um, and uh, we hope that Northern Front doesn't open up. Uh, it, it could, I mean, there's been this threat from Hezbollah that as soon as ground forces enter Gaza, they, they shoot their missiles. Uh, but if they do, there's going to be an unbelievably overwhelming response uh, to you know, silence Hezbollah. Um, and, and they know that. Uh, and they, I think, can see Israel's resolve in fighting Hamas. And they know that that resolve will be there 10 times over uh, if guided missiles start hitting Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and Haifa and so on. That's where those big warships come in. Here's my instinct in Colorado. I've seen some public commentary where Jewish people are getting blamed right now. Like they are, like Jared Polis or Phil Weiser or Jenna Griswold for not condemning an ass like Tim Hernandez fast enough. Or people who take off on Tony Blinken right now I don't want to hear it. It's like the old basketball player in me. You're going to do that to my point guard? You know what I mean? Is that a proper role for Jews like me to protect Jews who I think are unfairly attacked or just let that go? No, I, I think that's true. And there has to be a response um, to somehow justifying Hamas. I've heard this on national TV as well, news programs and so on. They're talking about, oh, there's all these angry, angry teenagers in, in occupation. That's why they're lashing out right now. There's no root causes. There's no justification. Teenagers um, around the world, whether they have advantages or not advantages, they don't lash out and destroy and kill innocent human beings. Uh, that's just a bunch of nonsense. We hear it. Um, in this country uh, or in uh, in this city, uh, we see these, these anti-Israel protests that we're going to be seeing coming up. Um, I'm not sure how to engage them generally, but we need to make it very clear that the narrative that they are trying to pull over um, uh, on us is, is just that. It's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, we know what is good and what is evil. Um, and you know, the thing is, in other uh, episodes and crises, the Israeli government is always looking over at the United States for you know, how long they can continue the fight before um, the United States starts putting pressure on them or the international community starts putting pressure on them. That's not going to happen this time, at least at my understanding at this point, my read of the situation. Um, Israel's not going to stop until um, Hamas is annihilated in, in Gaza. And I can hear your determination. And this is a question you can pass on in the interest of unity. But I can't stand Donald Trump. I can't stand what he said about Hezbollah being smart. I can't stand the way he's praised Putin. I think Putin is uh, in charge of a lot of what goes on in Iran. Iran controls Hamas. Putin's evil. And I like people who stand up to Putin harder than that. If you want to pass on the Donald Trump question, I understand, because I'll talk about it with others. But he's not helping, is he? 
Well, his, his the statements that I've heard coming from him in the last uh, day or two, um, I think, are wrongheaded um, and uh, not helpful. Yeah, that's probably as far as I want to go on on that one. Sure. Uh, you know, whether you whether you support him politically or not, or you know, vote for him or not, or um, you know, people people say things. He says things, and he has to be held accountable for for what he says. And um, I think he's wrongheaded on criticizing whether it's Bibi or anyone else in Israel when they're when they're fighting a war. Oh my God, I bet you've officiated thousands of funerals. And as you've alluded to, sometimes families can have problems. There can be feuds, there can be long-term grudges over this or that. And probably some families come together over a death of a loved one. They repair the wounds. Others don't. You're probably part of that process. I think we're going through that right now. How can we pull everybody together? I think you're giving a fine example with that last answer, but uh, tell us your experience dealing with people who are going through trauma. Well, um, you know, you've, you've, you've had plenty of losses, Craig, in your family. I know I've been there uh, with you and with your family to support you in, in tough times. Um, you know, there are tragedies that happen in the world and they scar you. Uh, and those scars are always there. I can only imagine what's what's in the minds and the hearts of, of Israelis who've suffered losses, their children, right, of their parents, uh, of their husbands and sons and daughters. Um, I don't think that, in my experience, um, I don't think that those scars go away ever. Um, so what can we do for them? Um, and all, all I've ever found in, in my work, 35 years on the pulpit, is to be physically present and um, an ear to, to listen uh, to those who are hurting and, and to be close to them. Uh, you're not going to take away their pain. Uh, those scars are going to be there uh, forever. Uh, but that's what we in the Jewish community try to do. Um, just to be present, to be a listening ear. Um, and it helps, I guess, in certain circumstances, and, and it's not enough in other circumstances, but that's all we can do. Uh, and be unified and supportive. Um, and here's a perfect example where we in the Jewish community are not just going to sit by and um, do nothing. Uh, you probably saw in the newspaper today, I was reading that people in Israel Right, are all stepping up to help the troops by cooking meals and and unloading boxes of of warm clothing for the soldiers um, and doing whatever they and if they're not you know fighting on the front lines they're behind the scenes supporting their troops uh, and I I see the Jewish community worldwide doing something similar uh, whatever we can do to support the troops to support the the army to support the government in this time of crisis um that's what we try to do mostly we feel kind of helpless in america so far away from the front lines uh, but we do whatever we can do uh, uh, to help be helpful well that's great and all those news sources you gave us were terrific some of them have podcasts i know the times of israel does as well I really appreciate your time, and it's been great to listen to you. It almost feels to me like you're coming out of retirement. You're going to do everything you can to uh, help the the Jewish state of Israel. Is there anything 
It, well, you're so much more knowledgeable, and I turn to you for religious guidance. Is is there power to prayer? What is the role of prayer right now? And I found myself coming to Shoal, and holy cow, I don't come all the time. That's where I saw you at uh, Simcha's Torah. And and just the symbolism of them attacking on that day. It was Simcha's Torah the day before in Israel, right? And uh, I've said that Elon Musk can't, and fascists can't allow Twitter because it's too free. Do you, do you think that fascists can't allow Torah and the Jewish people because we mean freedom too? I don't know. I'm a little jumbled in my thoughts, but try to make sense of that, Rabbi. Well, uh, it was Simchat Torah in Israel last Saturday when um, this this whole thing started. Um, and what did Jews do at Simchat Torah? We dance around with the Torah. We celebrate the fact that God gave us God's word. Um, for us to follow, uh, which uh, emphasizes uh, the infinite worth of every human being um, and and gives us a value for peace. So what, what are we dancing around in Simchat Torah? We're dancing around for peace. We're dancing around for you know enlightenment, God's word, God's direction, what, what our, our tradition tells us how to live. That's what we're celebrating, and what we get is Hamas terrorists and murderers and uh, atrocities uh, that occur. Um, so there, there was the the contrast was so brazen. Um, peace and love uh, and joy uh, versus murder and death and mayhem and destruction uh, and atrocity um, that 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 faced us on that day. Uh, so I, I think it's about as clear as as, as we can be. Um, we're on the side of civilization, people of goodwill. Uh, they're on the side of barbarism, and they have to be destroyed. Uh, and that's pretty much where we are, where it looks like we're going to be for the next several weeks or months. And yet at your show, the AGA, the kids were celebrating the completion of the Torah. And the festival went forward, even in the tough times. Uh, life goes on. Uh, I I feel so distracted, so worried. And the other thing that happened on Saturday was Vladimir Putin's 71st birthday. I don't think that's coincidental, but I do think it's coincidental that it's my youngest son Sam's 21st birthday. And you may recall uh, Rabbi Greenspan, he he called up people for various aliyahs, and he said, people who have been to Israel are planned to go in the next year. And I thought, whoa, I don't know if I'm going to want to go in the next year. How about you? Do you plan to go? Yeah, I'd go tomorrow if I was able to. Um, we just, <laughs> I, I, I would hope to go in the, in the near future. Um, I think trips, I think American Jews going to Israel, Americans of all, of all religions, there's a lot of support in the Christian community for Israel. Um, and we've seen in the past when there's been other crises that um, our friends in, in the Christian world don't cancel their trips. They go. Uh, they go to their holy sites and they travel through Israel even though there's conflict. Um, I think that that should continue. Um, and uh, I, I know it will continue. There's, there's some trips that um, they're looking at very carefully now whether or not they're going to go. I, I always hope that they do go, is to support the country. Um, 
And uh, I've been equally distracted, as you say. Uh, I can't really think about too much else um, in the last week. Uh, but we do know life is going to go on as soon as uh, as soon as we push back on evil and and do what we can to, uh, destroy all those who are trying to destroy us. Right. And my final question, Rabbi Solomon Grunwald, uh, you're very. I, I think he's great. He's a wonderful successor, and I hope you feel the same way. And I'm, he, he then called up people who had celebrated a Simcha, and I would look forward to that Saturday because my youngest son, Sam, was turning 21. And in my mind, I sort of thought, well, that's it. I did it. You know, and now, you know, I don't know what to do as a father. What do we do? Well, I think you're doing what you can. You're you're recording your podcast with people of uh, goodwill and uh, the values that we hold, uh, and our values will will be vic- victorious. Um, you know that the, the Nazis were destroyed, um, and our enemies around the world have been uh, put on notice. Uh, and uh, even though they're pushing back, Iran, Russia, these are tyrannical regimes. Uh, that are on the side of, of death and mayhem. They're they're causing. Uh, I mean, it's just like the the march of evil uh, in the world. But uh, the United States and Israel and and most of Europe um, are fighting back, and uh, this evil w- won't stand. But, but what about so what about keep the, the faith? What about the crying? I mean, I woke up morning, Joe. There's Joe Biden and. And he made me cry. And then Tony Blinken made me cry. And every one of these stories makes me cry. And I'm crying now, thinking about the world I'm leaving to my son. And I hate to cry as a father because I know you knew my father. And, you know, so we have to be strong for our children. Is that the message? I mean, it's just like when you give a sermon, you can't be crying up there. When I give a closing argument, I'm not going to be crying. We just got to we got to step up even at our advanced age just like everybody else and and do what we can. I, you did your first podcast with me. I'm so grateful. The final word is yours, Rabbi. I hope it was a little bit of a a therapeutic or good experience for you. Uh, I value your opinion so much. I uh, thank you. I I really have uh I, I do feel it, it important to um, make sure that we carry on this struggle. Um, yeah, crying. Uh, I, I've seen reporters on TV crying. Um, certainly people in shul um, uh, cry. And, uh, you, you know, they're, they're, you can hold these two things uh, at the same time. Um, you can be uh, devastated and you can cry, um, but at the same time, fight. Uh, and we're we're criers and fighters. and and we will uh, will succeed. Uh, we will we will come out victorious uh, at the end of this horrible, tragic uh, crisis uh, because the, we have right values. We have a civilization. We know that that will ultimately prevail, um, and it's going to be through tears and guns um, that uh, we'll will will carry on with. Um, and our job uh, is to support the state of Israel. Uh, the best way we can so um, that they can they can succeed in this fight. That's right. Here's how it ends. We win, you lose. And then we're going to create another holiday. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to eat 
We're going to celebrate and we're going to bring freedom to the world. That's our role, right? And so, Rabbi, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Craig. Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, that's our show, and I told you it would be a beauty, and I hope you thought it was too. Dave Gunders delivered, as per usual, Tear Up Time is a classic. Listen to it over and over. It makes a lot of good points. Could be about remodeling. Could be about breaking up a relationship. God forbid it could be about a country coming apart at the seams. How long have we been doing this? How long has things not been right for a while? And it's kind of MAGA-related. Let's get rid of that cancer. Scott McGinnis, you are good enough to oppose Donald Trump being president again. I appreciate that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Tell a friend, share, subscribe. Five stars. Love it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.